All right, let's look at verses one through three in John chapter 14. And, and, and just to bring you back into the setting, uh, Jesus has, has just told his followers, his closest followers, now we're talking, he is hours away from going to the cross. Okay, and, and so he's having this, this meeting with his closest followers in this upper room, and, and they're having the, those deep conversations. The conversations that he's having with them are the ones that are going to prepare them for what life is going to look like without him, because he's told them, I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. And so in John chapter 14, let's read verses 1 through 3. Uh, we see where it says, let not, and this is in red. Now, what does red mean? Jesus's words, okay? In John chapter 14, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Okay, so... The disciples are being forced to deal with the coming death of Jesus, okay? They, they, they've been told this is happening, and, and as they're dealing with that, they're confused. They're confused at, at what he's shared. They're confused as to why this needs to happen. They're still processing the reality that they thought they were on the winning team, and, and now everything, it seems, that they thought was, was coming isn't coming anymore. And, and then um, on top of it, we see that how they receive it isn't necessarily great because what, what did Peter do? Peter pushes back and says, listen, everyone else may abandon you. I will not abandon you. Wherever you're going, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, literally, before a rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. So not only are they confused, but there's even pushback as to uh, what Jesus is saying is going to happen. But overall, their response that we read here, their over overall response is anxiety. See, Jesus begins chapter 14 by acknowledging their feelings. Their hearts are troubled, it says. See, earlier in the book of John, this same word troubled, uh, it's used to describe what happened to a pool of water. It's translated stirred up. And so the disciples' hearts right now, they are stirred up. He's leaving. They can't follow him. And to make matters worse, he's even said one of them's going to betray them and another is going to deny him. And so they're working through all these emotions that you and I would also be working through as well as we, if we were right there in the room. And Jesus, in spite of his own emotions, knowing what he's about to do on the cross, I mean, he's about to take the wrath of God. He's about to pay for the sins of all of humanity. And, and so he's got his own emotions, but he sets those aside in order to meet his disciples where they are at and to comfort them in their time of need. He tells them what? Believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, they need to continue with what they've already done. See, Jesus isn't telling them, listen, for the first time, okay, for the first time, you need to believe in me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, you have believed in me, and now keep believing, keep trusting in me. 
See, the present tense form of the verb believe, it refers to an ongoing trust in him, an ongoing trust. See, they, 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 uh, even though they generally believed in Jesus, uh, their faith was wavering. And so he says, listen, first and foremost, you need to believe. You need to trust in me. Just as, you, as you've been trusting me, you need to trust me now. And he says, not only trust me, but trust God. Trust God. And what he's doing here is he's linking their belief in God with their belief in him to remind them that to trust in him is to trust in God and to trust in God is also to trust in him. See, in times of anxiety that we, that, that we experience, in times of, of stress, we tend to do what? We tend to doubt God, don't we? Now, we don't say, hey, God, I'm doubting you. But how we respond, how we react, the fear that we have communicates that, that I doubt. And, and, and we can even get to the point where we start to wonder if he really even cares about us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say amen if you've ever felt that way. Does he even care about me? And I think for, for a lot of us, we've even gotten to the point where we've asked, does he even really know what's best for me? Does he even really know what's best for me? Because this doesn't seem to be what's best for me. Guys, you and I, we're going to struggle. And we're going to have these kinds of moments. And it's in those moments that we need to be reminded of his words to trust in Jesus. We have to trust. Uh, this, this, this means we can't rely on our emotions. Okay, you can't rely even on your experiences. Experiences are helpful, but, but there's certain points when, when you go, man, I got nothing to draw from here. And, and, and even advice from others. Uh, even sometimes the best of advice that I've gotten has been wrong. And so what do I do? Well, I have to anchor my trust and uh, my hope in Jesus. And, and that is what he's trying to comfort them with. He's saying, listen, come back to me. Come back to that place where your trust uh, is in me. Guys, faith isn't only for salvation, okay? A lot of times we're like, man, I have that belief uh, as I go into this relationship with him and I demonstrate the faith that, that, that Jesus, I, I, I believe in who you are and what you've done and I enter into this relationship. I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life and you go, aha, I've got faith. You guys, faith that he asks us to, this trust, because acting and, and living in this trust is faith. He invites us into a daily walk with him. That's not a one-time thing. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. We live by that. It's so much bigger than just one moment. And so Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them that. Then he comforts the disciples stating that their separation from him wasn't going to be permanent. See, he tells them that they can have confidence because why? He's leaving to prepare a place for them. Okay, that, that's, that's encouraging. Listen, you guys, I'm leaving, but the reason I'm leaving is because I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, the Father's house, when he says the Father's house, this is another name for heaven. 
So Jesus is preparing for them this new, this better home. And, and, and what we come away with here is that heaven is not some figment of our imagination. It's not this thing that we said, well, I hope it's real, so I'm just gonna believe in it. No, heaven is a real place created by God for his people to dwell with him forever. Okay, it's, it's a city. And so if we're a Jesus follower in this room or watching online, we're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. And so as a Jesus follower, I should feel restless as I uh, walk around and move and work on this planet right now. I should feel this sense of I don't belong. And I definitely shouldn't be going, how do I make this home? Okay, it, it, like uh, Jesus promises that every person who follows him will have a room in the Father's house perfectly designed for them. Are you hearing this? We're talking about the place, heaven, incredible city. And one of these Sundays, I'm gonna talk exclusively about heaven. It's crazy. We talk about the city of heaven coming down on the new earth and the fact that Jesus is telling them and telling us, we'll believe in him, that he's going away to prepare this place, this room specifically for you and for me. Oh, man. We were, uh, my wife and I were watching this design show because I think that's probably all that's on TV these days, it feels like. And... As we were walking, watching this, this design show, because, you know, there's things we want to do with our house and, and that, and, uh, and we're getting ideas, and uh, we're watching this one episode, and the designer that they're focusing on, uh, the whole episode is about this designer designing this room for her first child. And, and I mean, it was nuts. I mean, it was just beyond reason to me, but just crazy. Everything that was going into, all the thought, every, every decision uh, for this child that isn't even out there yet and isn't going to notice. Try and remember, what was, your, what was your bedroom like when you were born? Exactly. I have no idea. Somewhere in Indiana, I don't even know. I can't even remember the house, and right. And but here she is going all out, thinking of everything for this baby who's never going to remember it. But is, she's literally like, I want him to feel this way, and I and I think this will bring this out, and and all of that. And I and I because I knew I was teaching on this, I just started thinking because I was bored. I started thinking, Jesus is designing a room for me. Jesus is designing a room for you. You're not an afterthought. You're not this, oh, we'll let him in. Like, no, he's gone to heaven to prepare a place. And, 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 and literally, when, when, when he's talking about uh, this imagery uh, here, uh, this, this picture here is of a father building additional rooms onto his house for his sons and their families, as was often done in Israel. So that's the picture. So this promise uh, of heaven, he's giving this promise to his disciples to protect them, to encourage them, to comfort them against the temptation that he knows they're gonna feel after he's gone, because they're gonna feel what? forgotten. He's left. He's left me. 
He knows they're going to battle that. He knows they're going to go, what, what next? He knows they're going to have incredible fear and they're going to feel isolation, abandonment. And he's like, listen, in those moments, you remember why I've gone away. You remind yourself what I'm doing. And just as they needed to be reminded of that, you and I need to be reminded of that. Amen? We need to be reminded uh, when we're experiencing the loneliness, the despair, uh, when we're having the trust issues, that Jesus uh, is literally up in heaven, and he's given us the, this promise. And he's given us this promise so that we would never doubt his perfect plan for us. And let me be clear. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven is not heaven without Jesus. I hear people often say, well, I just want to get out of here. I want to get out of this body. I want to get out of this culture. I want to get out of this situation. Uh, just anywhere is kind of how it sounds. Heaven is not heaven without Jesus. This is what was on David's mind in, in Psalm 1611 when he wrote, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It is eternal joy because we are in his presence. And the most joy you're ever going to experience on this planet is when you are operating in relationship, in obedience to him. It's his presence. That's what's most important. And then uh, he continues on in verses four through six, and he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that verse is so powerful. I, I, I literally have to try not to use it every week. That's how big that verse is. But, but he says, he tells them, listen, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. And, and, and they're struggling just as you and I would be. They're struggling with everything and, 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 and their emotions and, 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 and just like what's happening, what, what he says is going to happen. And Thomas just speaks out on behalf of all of them. And he just, he just literally uh, says, how are we supposed to know? We don't even know where you're going. So how are we going to know the way? And then Jesus responds with what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the disciples don't need to concern themselves with a destination. They need to focus their attention on a person. Just as heaven is about living with Jesus, salvation is about walking with Jesus. Guys, Jesus didn't just give directions, okay? Okay? There was a huge change that took place when GPS went to your phone. You went from a massive book or books of maps to this little thing right there, and it walked you through it. It didn't just, like, say that's where you go. It walked you through it. You guys, Jesus says, I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm, I'm, I'm not only... Uh, <laughs> I'm not only the destination, but I'm also the driver. He doesn't just tell us about the way. He is the way. He's the only way to gain access to the Father. 
We see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit preaching um, uh, in the book of Acts. And, and he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And in, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, he's the door, he's the way, he's the narrow path, okay? It's all through Jesus. In fact, uh, it was because the early Christians taught that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that Christianity actually became known as the way. If you go through the book of Acts, you see Christianity referred to as the way, these people that belong to the way. In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, Saul, as he's still uh, going after Jesus' followers, it says, so that if any be... If any, he found any there who belonged to the way, it says. So through Jesus, we're brought into a right relationship with the Father. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when we read this verse and, and when you share this verse, which I pray you do because I pray you share your faith, there are people, no matter how nicely you say it, no matter how much grace you deliver it with, they will be offended when you share that. They're going to be offended. And maybe right now, as you're, as you're hearing me say this, you're like, I'm offended by that. Why? Why are we offended? Why would people be offended that Jesus would claim to be the only way? Well, it goes against our pride, doesn't it? It goes against our pride. Because what he says to you and I is you cannot make it to heaven on your own. That's what he's saying. See, our proud nature wants to have something to do with saving ourselves, doesn't it? Right? I want to have something to do with it. And, and, and when you think about how this verse like cuts like a knife and divides Christianity from all of the religions, it, it, it differentiates itself because it's not about what you can do. It's through what Christ has done. Every other religion is going to say this plus this plus what you do. So you have something to do with it. And, and you go, well, why do people fall into that? Why do, because people want to feel like they have a part in it. People want to feel like they can earn their way. But the question they've got to answer is, well, how much is enough? Right? Is it just when this spiritual figure says, okay, I think you're good. Is it just like you feel like you're better than you are bad? Like, is that, is that the point? Where is that point? I ask that question a lot. How good is good enough for you? And there's even people right now that, that they're like, I claim the name of Christ, but it is works-based. It's not Christ-based. At what point are you good enough? And so he cuts this in half. And, and, and the reason it's offensive to people is because this requires us to accept Christ with humility. Humility. Humility is something we love to talk about, but not practice. Right? It's one of those things, we'll pray for people, but keep it away from me. But what he's saying can be trusted. Why? Because he is the truth. Jesus doesn't simply tell the truth. He embodies the truth. 
He's the source of truth. And so when we look at this exclusivity that we read about, that Jesus talks about, that we, that we see all throughout Scripture, what we need to understand is Christianity isn't exclusive because of who it lets in. In fact, Jesus said in John 7, 37, uh, it says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So it isn't exclusive because of who it lets in. Christianity is exclusive because there's only one way to get in. He keeps going in verses seven through 11. Uh, It says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? And he says his name. That ain't going away. That's in Scripture. (laughs) Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So if the disciples had just fully grasped who Jesus was, they would have known the Father as well. And, and, and don't get it twisted here. Jesus is claiming once again, as he's been claiming throughout the book of John, he's claiming full deity and he's claiming equality with the Father. But Philip wasn't satisfied, right? He's like, that's great. I hear you. I believe. But could you still just show us the Father? It's, it's for them. See, he wasn't content, right? He wasn't content, and he wanted a visible manifestation of the Father's presence. And Jesus' reply, and you can almost just hear the pain. You can hear the disappointment, the rebuke in what he says. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? And so Jesus then tells Philip and the others, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how in the world can you say, show us the Father? This hurts. These are guys that Jesus has invested deeply in over the process of years. They're not some random people. And so Jesus questions them more in in verse 10. And then he challenged his disciples, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Listen, you guys, you're struggling responding to what's coming out of my mouth, but remember what I've done. Remember the works that you've witnessed, that you've seen, that you've been a part of, the ones you've even heard about, the life change that happened. Remember that because the works themselves declare that I am God. And then he finishes with, these verses here that I have used taken out of context more than most verses. In verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, don't get up and walk out. Or you're going to be like, oh, this is the best religion ever. What does Jesus mean here? What does he mean? I mean, he, man, that's a, those are some strong things. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So, uh, and, and, and here's what's so great about this. He's not just saying this to the 12 that you'll do greater works than me. He says this to what? Whoever believes in me. And, and, and so what we read in Scripture, the disciples, they're going to perform some incredible miracles, incredible miracles. But it's really hard uh, to look at those physical miracles and go, man, that's more powerful than what Jesus did. Wow, like uh, that's more powerful than raising someone from the dead. I don't know how that compares to walking on water, feeding the 5,000. Oh, wait, he actually rose himself from the dead. Right? So, so it's, it's, it's not there so that we would compare power and compare miracles, okay? When Jesus spoke of his followers performing greater works, he was referring to the extent of the spiritual miracle of salvation. See, Jesus never preached outside of Palestine, yet his followers would spread the gospel throughout the world. Jesus had a limited, very limited outreach to Gentiles, but the disciples would reach the Gentile world. And so you think of the power of the gospel that, is, that has happened and the, per, the power to perform those greater works, the, the, the miracles, and, and to be able to take the gospel and reach uh, in, in, in so many different ways all of these different people, groups, he says, that's available because I'm going to the Father. Okay, so I want you to just hear the comfort that Jesus is, is throwing their way. He's like, listen, you got to trust in me. You got to continue to trust in who I am. It's got to sustain you in this. Listen, I'm going away, but listen, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place, a room specifically for you. And listen, um, uh, not only uh, am I going to do that, but I am going to deliver uh, power to you for you to do things that are going to have a reach that my life didn't even uh, begin to reach. Like that's the extent of all that I have for you because I'm going away. So be excited that I'm going away. Why? Because by him going away, he was going to do what? He was going to send the Holy Spirit who would then empower them and us today for the ministry that God's called us to do. Although Jesus would no longer be visibly present with them, the Spirit would provide them with all the power they needed to extend the work that he had begun. Does that encourage you? I hope it does. It really should encourage you. It should encourage this church. That by him going away, you're not abandoned. No, like, like there is a power that's available in your life that, that, that God wants to bring about because Jesus is with the Father. The work he wants to do in this church is the same thing. And, 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 and what we see here then is he goes the next level and he says, the Spirit's power will also be seen 
through what? Answered prayer. Jesus promises to answer the prayers of his disciples. Repeating it twice for emphasis, Jesus reassured them, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Now, let's let's be really clear about this. To ask in Jesus's name doesn't mean to flippantly add the words in Jesus's name at the end of all our prayers, right? Well, I said in Jesus' name, you got to do it. It's right here. And your truth, so you can't deny truth. You said, if I say in Jesus' name, right? It's, it, it's not a magic formula that obligates God to grant every request that we make. So let's be clear about that. I, I hear that word all the time, in Jesus' name. Okay. Some of us have to deconstruct our view there, right? Like, uh, it's funny how we try to figure out ways to, like, trick the system. It's like we're trying to figure out ways to manipulate God to give us what we want. And and, and I get it. Like, it starts in an early age. Uh, Our our kids have had figured out the system with us that my wife and I realized we got to change this up. Because what we had said at dinner time was, if you finish this, because they weren't finishing their food. And it was like, we were sitting there for hours. And it's like, oh, oh, I love you guys, but come on. This can't be parenthood. I'm throwing in the towel. Like, eat the food. And, and so we literally started saying, hey, you eat this, you'll get dessert. Right? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You do the same thing. Gosh, he did it. You bribed the little critters, you know, come on. And so anyway, so, we, so all of a sudden they start eating it. But all of a sudden we've created a system that doesn't work anymore. Because now every time they finish their meal, where's dessert? Where's dessert? Well, look, I finished. Where's dessert? I'm like, well, that's not an every time thing, Okay. So now we're like trying to wean them off that, okay? That was a mistake on our end, and we'll own it, okay? It worked for the time being, and now we're paying the penalty because they expect dessert every, every night. Guys, we, 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 we look at these verses, and we go, God, I'm going to do exactly what you say here, exactly what you say, not because it's in your best interest, but because it's in my best interest. I'm going to do exactly what you say because I need you to come through for me. And if we get to the crux of the matter, at the very core, for some of us, that's the very reason you entered into a relationship with him. Is you wanted him to come through for you. And you threw out one of those, hey, I'll do whatever if you just make this happen. And maybe it happened for you, and that's how you entered faith. Oh, my goodness. You got some stuff to deconstruct. Okay, because what we see here is that's not what it's talking about. It's not saying like, hey, here's the formula. You just say whatever you want in my name and I will give it to you. What he's talking about here is to pray. When he says to pray in Jesus's name, it means to make requests consistent with God's will and for the purpose of glorifying God's kingdom. That's what it means to ask in the name of Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus taught his followers to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He said, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's to approach God based on what Jesus has done and to acknowledge our dependence on him to supply whatever we need to the glory of God. So when I say in Jesus' name, it's no longer about me. It's no longer by my authority. It's no longer about my agenda. I am specifically going, this is about you, Jesus. This is for you, Jesus. I'm asking this. I'm praying that it's in alignment with your will uh, so that ultimately it gives glory to the Father. And he says, I'll come through for you on that. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. According to, that's a big according to, isn't it? Right? My God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and his glory, not mine. Okay? And, and, and so this is so important. So this is to express a desire in my prayer time that God would be glorified in however he chooses to answer me. Confident prayer in the name of Jesus, according to his will, will be answered. And when that answer comes, God will be glorified. Okay, and and, and let's just be honest here. Let's talk about where this really gets tough. It really gets tough when it's not the answer that I want, right? Really gets tough when when you go, man, God, my heart longs for you in this. God, this is not about, I, I don't believe God, this is my agenda. God, I believe I'm asking for your best here. God, I need a job. God, I, I, I need this to work out. God, like, like I, I, I need you to fix my marriage, God. I need you to fix my relationship with my kids, God. And, and God, I believe these are in alignment with your will, God. And God, I need you to heal this person. Or God, I pray that you would heal me. And, and where this gets really, really tough is when the answer, the response is not what I want. Or even what I think is God's best for me right? Because when I pray that prayer, man, I feel like I'm praying that way. And so it's really tough when the, when the response doesn't even align with what I believe best aligns with his nature. That's tough. And I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, you just deal with it, guys. Like, no, I, I, I've sat in rooms and I've, I've seen God intervene in miraculous ways and, and, and heal people and, and circumstances and situations and relationships and marriages. And, and I've seen that happen. But, but man, I've also seen where that hasn't happened. I've seen where people haven't been healed. I've seen where some people, man, it never goes away. I've seen for some people where the disconnect in this relationship, it's, it's, never, it's never fixed. I, I, and I've seen people pass away that I've prayed for and, and prayed, God, Please, please. So what do we do with this? How do we reconcile that? Well, one is this. 
however God chooses to be glorified is ultimately what's best. And it comes back to what he said the first part of chapter 14. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me that I can absolutely take anything, even death, and glorify the Father with it. I can do something through your disappointment that you know nothing about. I can do something even in their pain that, that, that is only a result because they're in the pain that you would never know about that's ultimately gonna bring glory to the Father. And I get it, I know. It's easy for me to preach that, man. It's another thing when you are walking through it. And so I don't pretend to go, oh, this is easy, this is okay. But I know that we have to hold him true. And he says literally that, that he will intervene, but it's going to to be in the will of God where God is going to get the glory. And we have to rest in that. And if, if, if someone passes away, here's the reality, people. Like uh, what we read is he's going to prepare a place, heaven. And so when someone that loves Jesus, that has followed Jesus goes, guess what? They're not missing you anymore. They're in heaven. And so when God calls somebody home, man, it's tough for us because we're here. It's tough because we got to somehow pick up the pieces. But, but we also know that where they're at with Jesus is where we want to be. And by God taking them, ultimately he's saying, I'm going to do something through that that's ultimately going to bring about the greatest glory to the Father. And so you guys, um, Jesus knew that these disciples were about to walk a road that was really gonna be tough. They were gonna feel fear to a degree they'd never felt before. They're gonna watch their savior die, get crucified, and guess what? They're gonna be persecuted. They're gonna be tasked with taking this message all throughout the known world, and they're gonna be tortured, and, and they're gonna lose their lives. And, and so Jesus is well aware they're gonna experience all of these thoughts, these feelings, these prayers of heal me, heal them, restore that, do that. And, 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 he's, and he's reminding them right now, and he's bringing comfort, and he's saying, you need to hold on to these words that I tell you, that I am going away, but I am going to prepare a place for you. And by me going away, I'm gonna empower you to do what you could never do do on your own, which is going to have a greater impact for the rest of the world. And as you reach out to me, I will respond. And whatever I answer with is ultimately going to bring the greatest amount of glory to the Father. So you live in that. You operate in that. You combat those feelings of loneliness, of isolation, of, of fear, of pain. You combat them with that truth. And just as that was so important then, it's important for us Today, this passage is packed with comfort and hope from Jesus to his followers. I mean, you have the promise of heaven, the pathway to heaven, and the promise of the power from heaven. Guys, this is so important for us because, man, I, I just feel it. There's a lot of troubled hearts in this room, online, and in our culture. And there's so much doubt. There's confusion. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Where are you? And you know what? A lot of times it reveals in us by how we respond, how we react. 
it reveals that I've been relying on a false hope. Guys, false hopes, whatever it may be, they will always ultimately disappoint you. But Jesus says, I will never fail. I will never fail you. And so, once again, remember the promises that Jesus promises in these verses. You don't need to rely on yourself. Why? Because he is the way. You don't need to live in this uncertainty, even though culture is uncertain. Why? Because he is the truth. And you don't have to fear death. Why? Because he is the life. The way and the truth and life, no one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus says. And so I want to encourage you, church, to make much of Jesus. And if your faith has faltered, remember remember what you claim to believe and get back on the wagon and listen to these promises and, and, and literally take them and hold on to them and allow it to rewire what's been disconnected in your brain and your heart during this last season and go, God, you are faithful. God, you are true. And there is nothing that's gonna separate me from living and walking in this. And, and God, it may not be comfortable at certain points in time and it may be suffering and, and it may, may be feelings of isolation and all of that, but, but God, I'm gonna choose to trust in you. I'm gonna choose to trust in you. And I know what you're doing. You're not up there just like hanging out. You're preparing a specific and special room just for me in heaven. And guess what? You're not gonna just leave it up there. You're gonna come get me at some point. You're gonna come get me. And I'm gonna go experience that. And so God, I pray that you would take the time, the limited time I have on this earth to make as much of an impact for you as I can through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that my actions, my words, and my prayer requests would be in alignment with that belief. Amen? Man, let's move forward in that church. Let's move forward, okay? You individually and us as a church. There's so much more. Let's pray.